everybody. I'm Pastor Robin, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear. Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. It is so good to be back with you. I hope you've had an amazing summer. I just want to start by saying thank you to all our amazing pastors and also volunteers that have been preaching over the summer, leading us to God in this incredible series, All in the Names of God. Now, just before I left on my own vacation with my family this summer, I had the privilege to fly down to Kentucky, where I was speaking to actually quite a large church on the role of spiritual gifts and disciplines and what's the difference between renewal, revival, and awakening, and if it's happening, how do you lead through it, and how do you prepare for the end of it? It was quite quite a wild and very cool experience to help influence another uh, Christian community that way. So I got on my flight from Toronto to Jersey, and then out of Newark, I was flying to Louisville, Kentucky. And as I was getting ready to go on the flight, suddenly I looked and saw a large contingent of Muslim men, and I recognized them. It wasn't an ethnicity issue. It was a, it was their dress, and I was like, oh, they're all Muslim men. I went, interesting. And um, so I was uh, sitting in the line, getting ready to get on the plane, and the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, John, I said, yes. He said, you see that man there? I said, yes. He said, just so you know, he's an Islamic imam, our vernacular. He's a pastor. He's going to sit beside you, and uh, you need to get ready. And I was like, oh. It's like, Lord, I wanted to watch Netflix. There's my confession to the whole church. I, I, I did not want this conversation. But the Lord said, you need to get ready. Now, I didn't know Louisville actually is a hub for refugees in the United States, and there's a large Muslim community there. Anyway, so I get on the plane. And I sit down, and lo and behold, two minutes later, who sits beside me but this man? And uh, we take off, and we exchange pleasantries, and we have a great conversation. He says, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a, a Muslim imam. I'm thinking, I had, yes, I'm very aware of what you do for a living. And then it began, a whole, on, a whole cons- uh, long conversation uh, between two religious leaders. It wasn't contentious, but it was direct, and it was intense to say the least. He'd never actually talked to a pastor. And I remember saying to him, so do you actually believe on Judgment Day when you face Allah and all of his holiness, your good works going to cover you? He said, absolutely. I said, I'm shocked at your ability to trust in yourself. I, I, I could never imagine standing before, before a holy God and making it in. And then, of course, the classic debate, are the Bible, is the Bible trustworthy? Yes, it is. No, it's not. Jesus is a prophet. No, he's more than a prophet. He's the son of God. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Jesus actually died and rose from the dead. No, he didn't. And back and forth we went. And I was literally taking his phone and screenshotting books on the authority and also the trustworthiness of Scripture academically and all these things. Anyway, back and forth it went, and I'm sure the whole plane got an interesting earful. Here's why I want to bring this up. In that conversation the three most significant things that make the Christian faith true or not true, reality or not reality, everything falls or stands on this, is, is Jesus the Son of God? Did he actually die and physically come back from the dead? And at the end of time, are you saved by grace or by works? And by the way, this whole message today ties all of these three things together. Now, like I shared, this summer we've explored so many amazing names of God and I want to start us off today with the very first thoughts I had at the beginning of this series. We need to understand, first and foremost, from a Jewish perspective, a name was believed to be a mysterious part of one's personality, an extension of one's character. A name reveals the nature, 
the role and what you can expect from a person. So when you learn the names of God, you find out who he is, what his role is, even what you can expect from him. And think about it. I know not all of us listening are Christians, but in our prayers, we who are Christians, in our songs, in our worship times, in our walk with Jesus moments, in our good times, boring times, amazing times, we call out to God and invoke his presence, what? By his names. And these names, again, tell us who God is and who he's not. They remind all of us again, uh, he's good. But we also need to be reminded today, we're not allowed to use names that are not revealed in the scriptures. Because if we start using names not revealed in the scriptures, we not only end up misrepresenting God, we begin to worship something other than God, and we invite something, and we invoke something into our space that's not God, even though we want to meet with him. His names, the given names, answer questions like, can God be defined or known? Some say God, of course, cannot be objectively defined by human language. He, he violates objects of definition, Soren Kierkegaard said God is wholly other, language and thoughts not strong enough to define him, know him, contain him. Even Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.16, God dwells in unapproachable light. But see, God out of love chose and chooses to enter into the human experience and let himself be revealed, known by deed, by name, by encounter, and fully by Jesus. The point is God chooses to reveal. And remember, revelation means to disclose, to appear, to come, to exhibit, to manifest things that are concealed. So in the Jewish Christian worldview, revelation is God unmasking himself, coming from that absolute boundary called eternity, and actually showing up. At the heart of holy history are his names. Now this summer, we've looked at all sorts of incredible God-given revealed names. God our creator, Lord God, the God who sees me the God of angel armies, the Lord our righteousness, God our husband, God who is there, God my banner, God my shepherd, God who is my peace, God who heals, Jehovah Jireh, my last week provider. But now we take a really strong New Testament turn into the Gospel of John. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to John, to John chapter 1. So let me set up this section like this. Uh, one person said, when you look at the Gospels, this is really helpful. Matthew says Jesus is king, so worship him. Mark says Jesus is a servant of all people, so we should imitate or follow him. Luke says this is the only person who's ever lived without sin, so let's be like him. But John says, oh, John goes further. He says Jesus is God with skin on. Believe in him. See, that is why actually John uses the word believe 98 times in his gospel. And I want you, as we go through this, whether you've heard me preach out of John 1 before or not, I want you once again or for the first time to hear John's heart, passion, devotion, urgency for you, for myself, for our world, for his world, for that Muslim imam I sat with. I mean, why did John, his, Jesus' best friend, write down all his experiences? Well, it's simple in John 20, 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah, Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in Jesus' name. So John says Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the fulfillment of the Jew Jewish faith, and Jesus is the Son of God, not just prophet. And by trusting in Jesus, I get eternal life by his love, his work, and his everything alone, not mine. Okay, that's the end of the story, but we need to start at the beginning because we haven't got the new name yet. John starts us, of course, in a very different place than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He pushes every single one of us, seeker, skeptic, uh, long-term Christian, brand-new Christian, to actually the beginning of time. 
And the beginning of his gospel answers big questions like, just before Gabriel showed up to Mary, we talked about this at Christmas, we're left with questions like, well, where was Jesus just before? Did he exist before or was just Jesus created? Who was Jesus before the manger and before Mary and before, well, time and everything? And by the way, the answer to this is central to everything we hold. It clarifies what believing actually means, and it makes this whole summer series make sense. So John starts like this, John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This one line throws every single one of us back to the place when time was invented, when life came to be. It's actually sort of a variation of the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now remember, Genesis 1-1 is the very first verse we started this whole summer series with. This is the very first name of God we looked at. In the beginning, God, the name for God here is Elohim. It's used 2,500 times in the Old Testament. And remember, we broke it down. It, Elohim has sort of two parts. El is a name borrowed from the Canaanites. El means mighty one, one whose power elicits reverent awe or fear. Just mighty God, supreme God, all in God. And then him, which is the plural term, which means supremacy or actually almighty gods. So remember all the way back in June, we talked about Elohim and we're like, okay, hold on. So the very first name of God has like this singularity and this plurality all in ones. And we're like, well, what does that mean? And remember I shared in June there are three things happening. First, this is a declaration that this God, Elohim, is above every other God. He's the supreme God. Many gods are human inventions. Other gods are real beings, demonic in nature. They got great power. They almost act God-like, but here's the difference. They have power. God is all-powerful. They're ancient. He's the ancient of days. Uh, they're created God, Elohim, is uncreated. They have a beginning. Elohim has no beginning or end. He's the supreme God. Anyone want to say amen? Because that's who he is. Second, this is royal language. I know this is weird uh, for many of us, but if you actually sat with a king or queen, they would never speak to you in first person. They don't say, I think that's a good idea. They say, we think that's a good idea. Because their position and their identity is connected. So this plurality, this we language, in Elohim is like God is king. He's the supreme God and he's king. But also, I think Genesis 1-1 is the first hint at God's full nature. And it becomes clear when we get to John 1-1. In the beginning at creation was the word. And the word was with Elohim. And the word was Elohim. At that moment, at the beginning of history, when Elohim created at the root of the universe was also the Word. And we're about to read, Jesus is the Word. Now, we don't catch this in English. I think I shared this back in 2019. But in Greek, this is how this reads. In the beginning, continually was existing the Word. Or as another person said, Jesus always was wasing. In other words, Elohim is forever and Jesus is forever. And this is where we get our name of God today, the Word. One wrote this about this name. The Greek term word is logos. It's a profound, significant concept among philosophers for three centuries before Jesus was, bo was born. Now, philosophers, especially Greek philosophers, said 
Logos is sort of a divine mind, a God mind, that gives meaning and order to the universe. So John comes along and says, yeah, actually let me steal that concept. That's true. That concept you pagan philosophers have theorized, maybe exists, does exist. He is God and Jesus is he. John continues to describe the word by saying that the word was with God. The word and God the Father are existing close together, sharing space, intimacy, and purpose. In fact, the intimacy and familiarity was such that the word was God. The word, Jesus, and God, Elohim, share the same essence. Therefore, all that is true of God is true of the word. See, Jesus, the one announced by angels, the one that the star pointed to, the one that the shepherds came and found, is the same one that Jeremiah met and David sang to and Moses encountered at the burning bush and the same God that brought the plagues of Egypt and healed Israel and it's the same one who called Abram. So before creation and at creation, Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And see, this is where that conversation with that Muslim scholar gets interesting because he's more than a prophet. He is God. It says in verse 2, Jesus was with God in the beginning. And then we move from pre-existence to creation, right? Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. The very first act where God reveals himself is creation. Yahweh Elohim is the double name used that we talked about in chapter 2. And he created, but he does it through Jesus. Jesus is the agent of creation. I, again, I shared this, I think, back in 2019. So there's 100 billion stars in the average galaxy. Think about that. There's a hundred billion suns in the average galaxy. And so far, scientists have discovered a hundred million galaxies. That means at this moment that we know of, there is 10 octillion stars. That's 10 with 27 zeros behind it. That's a real number. And what this is claiming is that Jesus made all of that. <laughs> so I've done this before. Let me do it again. John, are you saying that the guy that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The guy who was born, had parents, you know, like was breastfed, played with toys, had his, like, had his diapers changed. The guy who grew up, whose stepdad was a carpenter. The guy who in the end starts healing and casting out demons and taught pretty amazing things and was executed on a cross and rose physically. You're saying that Jesus from Nazareth created reality? Yeah. Genesis 1. Elohim is creator. Yet all, like all great sequels, we now see the full picture. God the Father, Elohim, through Jesus created all things. The universe is not eternal. God is. The universe is not some random mistake. It's an act of an artistic, loving, mathematical, architectural genius, a creator. This is God's world. And God did not, oh, I just need to pause on this point. If you've got church history, I'd lean in right now. God did not create us and everything because he was lonely. Let me say that again. God did not create us or everything because he was lonely, because God within himself is community. He did it to bring glory to himself and just because he wanted to share his love. To share his love. My wife and I have three children. I'm so glad that we have children. We actually struggled having children. Actually, we were told we couldn't have children. Uh, miraculously, we've had three. I couldn't imagine my life without them. But if we had not had children, my wife and I still would have been together and not been lonely. We had children because we wanted to share love with others. 
Well, John doesn't stop there. He writes in verse 4, And Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all people. Jesus is God, so life itself is in him, and life and light is meant for us. Life now, life forever. And the promise is clear. I mean, Jesus comes along later when he's older and says in John 10.10, 10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That Satan, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. Even John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. I mean, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not die, will not perish, but will have eternal what? Life. This is so clear, so powerful, so magnificent, so personal, so life-transforming. But then, tragedy, resistance, rejection. The light, verse 5, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. There is nothing in us that would give us the ability to know God. Not religion, that amazing, sincere Muslim man that I sat with, we had a great conversation. I would be a total friend of his. All he does does not get God's attention. Not good works, not nature, not education, not technology, not tolerance, not acceptance. We cannot get to God, let alone have relationship with a perfect creator on our own. We've sinned, we've walked away, there's opposition. And notice it says, has not understood. Now, what's wild is in Greek, this has two meanings. The first is the mind cannot grasp light. Why? Why can't the average human being just look at Jesus and his amazing teaching and get it? Oh, it's simple. We're spiritually dead. Even the most religious person and atheistic person on earth, the most spiritual person on earth, we're all spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Uh, dead people don't see things, can't grasp things. You're just dead. And then, of course, we're also blind. I mean, whether it's uncomfortable or not, the Bible's actually quite explicit about this, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, the God of this age, that's a name for Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, those who do not know Jesus. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So every human being you know and I know, including all of us at one point, we're all spiritually dead and spiritually blind. The other meaning is also pretty wild. You know, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. It can also read, cannot overcome the light. And this is this reference of Satan trying to destroy the light, and he doesn't win. And maybe you have never seen this connection before, but this goes back to earlier in our series. See, Jesus is also the Lord Almighty, the God of angel armies. Just like God struck down the gods of Egypt, so Jesus comes to strike down the whole demonic realm and they cannot stop him, no matter what they do and what they plan. Well, that's a lot of big, theological, heavy revelation. And suddenly, John, the apostle writing this, sort of flips the page. He sort of throws us down to the earth, and suddenly we're hanging out with Jesus' cousin. We call him John the Baptist. By the way, you might not know this. He's actually the dividing line between the Old and New Testament. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's greater than Moses or Samuel or Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel because they all saw Jesus' coming, but he was there. It says in verse 6, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might be saved. 
He himself, oh, 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 was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. So really clear. John the Baptist, though profound, is lesser. He's just a witness. His job is to point and say, Jesus is over there if you want him. Who's the true light? Jesus is the true light. Oh, he's actually the only authentic light. The implication right here is there is no other real light, no other light that reveals, no other light that brings true light, that brings relationship and faith. This is an exclusive declaration about the uniqueness of Jesus. That's why Jesus later would actually declare to his own Jewish community, but also declare in the middle of a pluralistic multicultural world, I'm the way, I'm the truth, or I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one gets to Elohim except through me. How in the world can you be say such an arrogant thing? Well, because he is equal with the Father. He's the only one who's come from heaven. He's the only, like, he's the only person. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to every person who is coming into the world. You know, I need to pause and do this again. I've done it a few times before. When you hear the word world, you probably think of the globe, the big, beautiful marble we all live on. And world is mentioned 70 times, 78 times in the Gospel of John, but here's what we miss in English, and we really got to catch this. When you hear the word world in John, it's not positive. It's not talking about this beautiful blue marble we live on. It actually is a formal word to talk about creation in rebellion against God. Hostile, rebellion, middle finger in God's face systems. So now when you read John 3.16, you should read it very differently. For God so loved the rebellious, out-of-control creation. This is not an endorsement of the world, saying we're okay, we just need more education or technology or, or peace, so let's just accept each other and let's just... No, no. Jesus, Jesus comes into an organized, hostile, fallen, religious, non-religious system and expresses love anyway. And this is not some 24-hour sort of drive-by, some fleeting visit. He comes and lives. He was in the world, verse 10. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Why? Because we've become strangers. We're estranged. We've forgotten. And then verse 11 even gets sort of more closer to, to his own family. He came to that where, which were his own. Even his own didn't receive him. I mean, the Jewish community, the religious leaders of his day, don't see him for who he truly was. They had the Old Testament. They had the prophecies. They were the ones picked by Yahweh so the world could see and know him personally. This should be the natural home for the truth of God. And yet they did not accept him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And to this day, as I'm literally preaching, there are people at the Wailing Wall asking for his return, and he's already come. Yet. It's always good that there's a yet. Verse 12, to all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in Jesus' name, he gives the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. For those that receive and believe in Jesus, they become children of God. Oh, see, let me just pause. Did you catch it? God gives us the ability and the right and capacity to see Jesus, meet Jesus, walk with Jesus, Get saved, to use old language, or be born again. See, that conversation I had with that very, very genuine, authentic Muslim pastor, that imam, 
looked me in the face and said, I will be saved by what I do. And he actually went farther. He said, I think the idea of someone dying in my place is abhorrent. I must be responsible for my own sin. No one else should be responsible for my sin. He had no concept of mercy and grace. But it says here that God gives us the ability. It's never on our own. Now, this also might be quite offensive, even to many of you who call yourselves Christians, but go here. People say all the time, we're all children of God. Yes, we are all children of God in the sense, of course, we are all made by God. But actually, no. Not all human beings are fully children of God. Only those who believe and trust and rely upon and have confidence in Jesus are children of God. Because being a child of God means you're in personal relationship with the living God. And the only way you do that is through Jesus. So that man I sat beside, though profoundly religious, and brilliantly educated, is actually not biblically a child of God. If you say you believe in, in Jesus Christ, you say, well, I know him. I've met him. I trust him. I place my confidence in him. Everything I know about life and just before death and after death depends on Jesus. That's actually what it means to believe. John brings us to Christmas really quick. Verse 14, the word became flesh made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word becomes flesh. The word did not just appear human. He actually was really human. There was a real baby in Mary's arms. And this Jesus, the word of God, made his dwelling among us. And I know some of you know this, but this is so cool. This reads in the original language. Jesus walked into the neighborhood, basically, and pitched his tent and, and lived. Now, the reason why the word tent is used here, it comes from tabernacle. So, in the Old Testament, when the people of God, the Jewish people, were walking from Egypt to the Promised Land, there was this tent called the Tabernacle where God's actual presence was seen. And this is saying now that Jesus is the Tabernacle. Jesus is the light of God. Jesus is the presence of God among us in the fullest way. That's, by the way, why we have this another amazing name of God through Christ, Emmanuel. We sing about it all the time at Christmas. God what? With us. In other words, here's a be uh, the beautiful thing. God did not remain abstract, distant, unknown, hiding. God broke the silence by his coming. He is eternal. He is life. He's fully human. He's fully God. Jesus was seen. Jesus was touched. Jesus is proclaimed. Jesus is the word of life. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And I love this summary, if you skip four verses down in verse 18. It says, you know, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Some of you are like, hold on, hold on, hold on. How in the world can John say known as seen God? I mean, I've read my Bible, Adam, Eve, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel. They all saw God. Yeah, yeah, in part but not completely. Jesus is different. We now see God fully. No one has seen God fully except the one who sits at his side, who is closest to him because he's one with him, and he makes him known. In other words, we can really know who God is, what he's about, what he's not. Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus is the overcomer of all evil. So many people, again, cry out, I want to know who God is. I want to understand what he's like, what his character is. Just look at Jesus. Okay. If you are a seeker here today, uh, hanging out with us, or maybe you're online, 
or maybe you're listening to this sermon years later on some podcast. Maybe you're from a formal other faith. Maybe you're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Sikh or a Buddhist or maybe Christian history. You have some Christian history. I just want to say to you again, no arrogance, no judgment, just because, again, this, the authority is not me here. It's, it's this. There's nothing hidden. There's no fine print. Jesus exclusively is called God and claims to be God. Jesus is the only true light. Jesus is the only one darkness has not overcome and cannot overcome. Jesus is the light of the world. God coming for us when we could not get to him. St. Augustine, one of the greatest Christian thinkers that's ever lived, preached this hundreds of years ago. The maker of man became man that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast. That he, the bread, might be hungry. That he, the fountain, might thirst. That he, the light, might sleep. That he, the way, might be wearied by the journey. That he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses. That he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by mortal judge. That he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust. That he, discipline, might be scourged with whips. That he, the fountain, foundation, might be suspended on a cross. That courage might be weakened. That security might be wounded. That life might die. Why? So we could actually know God. Brilliantly, another person said this. Most religions always tell you of something you must do. Christianity always says this is what God has done. And he did it through Jesus on the cross. For example, when Peter's hearers want to know what they should do in light of him preaching about Jesus, he told them, do nothing except, do nothing at all except receive what God has done. He sketches a picture of God approaching them with a gift in hand, a gift they could never earn. They could only accept or reject. God offers us, shockingly, the gift of forgiveness, complete cleansing from whatever we have done in the past. It's mercy, and it's possible only because of what Jesus achieved on the cross. So the question, again, for seeker, for skeptic, for spiritual people among us, for people of other faith or Christianity-ish, will you believe on Jesus? Will you receive Jesus? Will you recognize Jesus? Will you humble yourself? Will you give up the actual arrogance that appears so right that you can do something to save yourself? Will you let Jesus, dwell, pitch a tent in your life. Do you want hope? Do you want to actually be a child of God? Will you confess him as son of God, the God in flesh? Will you say that Jesus is the word, the final word? Do you want eternal life? Then confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and surrender, and then you get a new creation. Then you get a new beginning. Then everything changes. Remember what the scriptures teach, what John wrote down in verse 12. All who receive Jesus, to those who believe in Jesus' name, he gives them the right to become children of God. What do you do with Jesus who fully reveals God to you? Lots of us listening, we're Christians. Some of us are newbies, brand new. Some of us have done the journey for a bit. Lots of us have been lifers. And for us who are Christians, look, I mean, Jesus is everything to us. I mean, how could he not be? But 
as I was prepping this message and praying and thinking about our community and asking the Spirit of Jesus what He wanted to say to our community, I, I did land here. I know a lot of us, not just in Sanctus, just in general, are really sort of past and tired of hyping up our relationship with Jesus. Look, the older you get, I'm 47, about to turn 48, so I'm in midlife, uh, hardcore midlife right now. But if you've had a long-term friendship with someone or you're married, you actually know much of the time it's not amazing. It's not fireworks. It's not some deep emotional encounter and every conversation's incredible laughter or an incredibly deep conversation or it's not always just like, you know, if you're married, romantic fireworks and you're all... No. It's about presence and faithfulness more than lots of other things. So here's the question as we start nearing the end of the summer and actually starting to prepare for the end of this series. And, and I actually am posing this question genuinely to you, not just as, oh, this is a good idea. And I posed this to myself over the week. Since Jesus is supposed to be our first love because of everything he's done for us and who he actually is, let me just ask this question. And I would really challenge you, please, would you ponder it this week? How close are you these days with Jesus? I mean, for real. I mean, do you spend time with him anymore? Uh, do you talk to him are you in his word? Are you asking for light to keep breaking darkness in you? When's the last time you've actually said to Jesus, I'm not okay with where I'm at right now. Make me more like you. When's the last time you say, I, is there growing darkness in me and shadow? No, no, I don't want to be cynical. I don't, no, I don't want to go back. Like, more of your light. When is the last time you just sat with Jesus and say, I really want to be more like you? What is it going to take? What's going to happen? What are you going to do in me? I'm not asking you, I hope you're catching this, how excited you are about Jesus, how pumped you are about Jesus, how, mm, it's not that. I'm just asking right now, how committed are you? How close are you? The closer we sit with the word, the closer life and light burn away darkness and bring hope and transformation. Well, I think... One of the best places we should end this message is actually by publicly confessing the truth. And so if you are at a site right now, a physical location, I'd love you to stand. Uh, if you're not at a physical location and you still can stand, I mean, if you're driving, don't do that, please. But uh, if you can stand, and what I want to do is I've actually uh, got this section out of the book of John in front of me. And I want us to confess this together. Just like we say the Apostles' Creed together, I want us to confess this as true. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to confess this. So again, uh, Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the Word of God, with God, and you are God. Thank you that you reveal the Father fully. Thank you that you've not remained aloof. Thank you that you're light and eternal life. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you you make all things right. Pray for those who are among us who have not yet met you. Open their eyes and hearts. And may there be a humbling and also a healing and just an encounter for many of us who have walked with you for a little or a long time. Uh, rekindle first love. Uh, grow uh, proximity again to you. But Jesus, we also want to confess to each other. But we also want to confess to the world and even confess to principalities and powers the truth of this. So if you're standing now, let's just say this together. Uh, we believe this is true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all of humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through Jesus, the world did not recognize Jesus. Jesus came to that which were his own, and his own did not receive Jesus. Yet to all who do receive Jesus, to those who believe in Jesus' name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, or human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. This is what we confess is true. This is our hope, this is our faith, and this secures eternal life for us all who believe in him. We do declare this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There, you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. God bless you.